Well, welcome. Uh, today we're continuing our series, Australian Gospel, which really has just been a loose title to say, hey, let's look at the book of Mark. Let's have a look at a few stories and uh, what is the good news of Jesus? Let's try and just focus in on a few things and see what we can learn uh, about Jesus, about his life, the way he lived, the way he operated, uh, the way he chose to, to, to be while he was on this planet. And uh, yeah, what can we learn from that? Last week we looked, because uh, it's Father's Day, we had a look at a few passages that looked at if there was a perfect dad on earth, which there isn't, uh, what would it be like to have that dad? And we looked at some stories of Jesus and said, hey, Jesus loves us. Um, he provides for us. Anyway, so, uh, yeah. And today we're going to continue. And we're going to actually be looking at a passage. If you've got your Bible, we'll head there in a little bit. Uh, Mark 8, uh, 27 to 30. It's a small story, but it is a pivot point in the book of Mark that's actually quite helpful to look at. But before we get to that, um, I've got a question for you. In this life, there are so many things that we can live for, right? I, I just think we are, we are inundated with a bunch of stuff that is just like, if you want to choose a purpose, a reason, something which says, I am existing because of fill in the blank, there are so many options out there. I'll give you one and then I'd like to hear what your ones are, like work. I could exist to just work. It gives me purpose, fills me with uh, just a feeling of accomplishment and everything. And I can easily, in conversation, I'm sure you might be like this as well, if, uh, if work is a big part of your life, when someone says, how are you doing? You'll eventually be like, things are going fine at work or whatever that may be. So what are the other things that exist in our world that we can live for? Does anyone have any? What, what, can, we, what can we live for in this world other than work? Is, Helping other people, that's great. Our family, family's a big one. That's a huge, you know, we can easily, uh, because of our place as a helper within our family even, family can be a big thing that we, we live for. What else is there? Pardon? Pleasure. Absolutely. We are in the best position in history in our current context as Australians because there are so many options that will just give our brain good dopamine fixes, and it's everywhere. So, absolutely. There's one over here. Pardon? Sports. Absolutely. Uh, who's in the grand final? <laughs> it's not Essendon, so I don't care. Um, <laughs> and it's not West Coast or Frio, so... Does anyone care? No. It's Mel Melbourne Western... Great. Western Bulldogs are my second favourite team. I don't know why. I think it's the logo. It's just cool. I don't know. Um, Sport, huge one. It's good to catch up with mates around sport. All right, yes, absolutely, live for sport. And people do take on the identity of their team. People get tattooed on their bodies to say, this is who I follow. That's a big one. Uh, I'll take one more. Exercise, absolutely. They're, pardon? Chocolate. <laughs> exercise and chocolate. You should exercise so you can have the chocolate, but then you've got to exercise again. But then you get more chocolate. And then it comes under pleasure, and then, yep. then you've got to share it with your family. How can we link them all together? Anyway, that's great. There are so many things in this life that you and I can live for. It, it, there just is. There's work, hobbies, sport, friends, family. We can live for success, that feeling of progressing in whatever, atmosphere, whatever sphere we find ourselves in. Money, yeah, that can define us, can't it? Money and what we can buy. Oh, music, yes. Music, and that's the best one. I love the song that was playing before. 
uh, was an acoustic version of Lord Send Revival, which is on the Hillsong Young and Free, not most recent, but the one before that one. I've been listening to that all week. And as I was walking up here, it was like God was giving me a wink, like, hey, I see you. Anyway, um, another one is social status. That is a big one. How many followers do you have? How influential are you online? So what you and I choose to live for basically becomes our good news. So if we live for work and work is going well, then there is good news in our lives because work is going well. If, we work, if we're living for social, money, uh, sorry, for social status or money, when those things go well, you can say the gospel of our life, the good news, the thing which brings us who we are, our identity and everything, when those things are going well, we can say that is the gospel of my life, that is good news. But here's the thing, and I think, you know, I think we all know where this is going to go. I'm going to bring it back to Jesus, obviously. But the Australian gospel, which has a lot of those things in it, the good news seems to sort of be lacking. And I want to bring out three points that I would say, and this is not an exhaustive list, but as I look around Australian culture right now, there are three things that sort of mark what we would say as Australians is good news, is good news, is gospel. So if I was to say, what is the general population of Australia, what is our gospel as a society, as people, there's three things that sort of mark whether we're going well and whether we are living in the good news that we want to. So here it is. The first one is, I can be who I want to be. So if there was, you take the average Australian and say, hey, what would you say would be a good thing in your life? They would say, well, I just want to be able to be who I want to be. I would say that that's something which we see reflected in different places. Another thing which I see is that there's this thing of I can have what I want. I work hard, I make money, so I go to the store and I can purchase anything that I would like to purchase. I can have what I want and if I don't have what I want, then I'm going to go out there and work extra hard or I'm going to take money away from some other stuff and put it into that so I can get what I want. And what's even worse is if I can't have what I want right now, I'm going to go put it onto credit. That way I can get what I want now and I'll pay it off later. Then you lose it. Then you're still paying it off. And now you've got debt. Anyway, I can have what I want. And this is one which I see, number three. So first one, I I can be who I want to be. Second one I see in society is I can have what I want And the third one is this, and it's sort of underlying in our culture, is I'm one breakthrough away from it all. I'm just one breakthrough away from it all. The way I'm living right now, it may not be exactly the best life that I wanted, but I'm just one good job promotion away, or I'm just one good relationship away, or I just need to have a couple of crucial conversations, and then I'm going to be free of that baggage, and I'm going to step into the next season of my life. The best is yet to come. I'm just one breakthrough away from where I want to be. And I think that is one of the things that sort of drives our capitalism. Is I'm just, If we think if we spend big, if we live up the life that we want projected for other people, then I'm just going to eventually break through and I'm going to enjoy the happiness and the rewards of my, of my toils. And we just keep thinking when we are on the back foot, when things are not going well, we're under pressure, we just keep fooling ourselves saying, but don't worry, I'm just, I'm just one good decision away. I'm one lottery ticket away from everything I need in life. I'm one breakthrough away from what I want, from everything. But there's a couple of problems with this. Um, And uh, a couple of problems with this that sort of, when we start to think about them, and this is the problem. If you want to live in the Australian good news of be who you want to be, have everything, and you're one breakthrough away, don't stop and think about the consequences of your actions too hard. Because the moment you stop and start to think about what the implications of that is, 
we start to run into a little bit of trouble. So what is the problem with this version of good news? I can be who I want to be. Screw the limitations. Now, this is a big problem because we are very, very limited as people. We think that we can be who we want to be. It doesn't matter about the limitations that I have on my life because I want to be able to choose what I want when I want. But the problem is that we have a lot of limitations. Our age, our fitness level, funnily enough, that comes up a couple of times. Our time, time is a big one. At the end of the day, we all have this one limitation of time. You can't earn more of it, and we all get the same amount of it. It's the great equalizer among humanity. Finances, we have a limitation in our finances. You maybe have a lot, or you maybe have a little. Our intelligence, that's a limitation. We are only as smart as we are, and we can boost it a bit, but at the end of the day, it's just a limitation that we have. Um, And this is another limitation on us, uh, which plays into things, luck. Now, I was thinking about this um, a couple of weeks ago when I was having a chat uh, to someone, and I was just saying, you know, a lot of people think, I was just saying sort of offhand, and I I don't mean it, like, take this with a grain of salt, but sometimes I see people go, hashtag blessed, and I go, maybe you're just hashtag lucky, like, hashtag blessed, this workout, maybe, maybe it's a bit of luck. I go to the story of Job, and... uh, and I go to the story of Job, and I, I look at Job, and I see, so if you're unfamiliar with the story of Job, a long time ago, God and the devil were having a conversation, which, imagine that, it's interesting, having a conversation about this person called Job. Job was a big follower of God, and the devil went and said, look, he's only following you because he has all the good stuff. If he didn't have that good stuff, he wouldn't follow you. And God's like, okay, I'll take you up on that. And the devil's allowed to mess with Job. It's a really weird story, and it's very cool, but uh, it's, it'd make a great movie. I don't know why they haven't done a movie about it yet. Anyway, what happens in Job's life is awful. He had a family, he had property, he had health, he had all this stuff, and slowly, bit by bit, the devil takes that away, and he still holds on to God, and then him and his friends have these big, long conversations, and by the end of the story, Job goes to God and says, why did this happen to me? And what does God say to him? Where were you at the foundations of the earth? Where were you at the beginning of it all? Uh, how dare you question me, basically. He basically gave him the dad talk. Like, you know, like Job's like, why is it like this? And God said, because I'm in charge, buddy. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the end of it. And then, and then after that, he gets everything back again. Now, here's the thing with Job, which I find fascinating. Whenever I've heard it preached before, like, where Job? Which is one way of looking at it. But what if we were a member of the first family? What if we were a servant with the first family? What if we were a member of the second family? Because the first family, bad things happened. The second family, a lot of great things happened. Imagine in being a back player in that story. Because of Job and God and the devil and those three mucking it up, if you're in the first family, boom. That's not fair. And if you're in the second family, because of those three again, you get great success, wealth, and, and it goes on. So I think a lot of us think we're the center of the story. Maybe we're a background character. I don't know. But some of us, I think when it comes to limitations, luck, the devil, spiritual warfare, there's a bunch of stuff there, but sometimes things just happen. Sometimes life just happens, and you can try and spiritualize it. Um, I think there's a healthy way to do that. Um, But if you over-spiritualize it, you can get a bit like, I don't know, sometimes things just happen. Life just happens. And God is with you in that. And I think that's the thing we have to focus on. So we run into limitations constantly. I want to be who I want to be. Forget the limitations. I'm going to go for it. And then we're older. 
or we're too young, or we're not in the right family, or we don't have the right intelligence, or we don't have the right income. So we can't actually be who we want to be. We can only really work with what we've been given, unfortunately, or fortunately. The second thing, I can have what I want, and this is the important thing that we forget about, even if it costs someone somewhere. Now, our economic choice has a global impact. Our buying, physically right now, our buying, what we choose to purchase as Australians, takes a role in the largest uh, slavery movement in the world. What we choose to purchase in our clothes, in our electronics, with our cars, uh, what we choose to purchase drives modern-day slavery, and it is massive. So one of the actual most Christian things or Christ-like things we can do as followers of Jesus is actually look at where our money goes. When we choose to purchase goods and products, we need to ask the question, who is being impacted by our choice to purchase these goods and products? Our Baptist World A do the ethical fashion guide. Now, I don't have any on me, but they come out, I think, at the end of the year. Is that only when they pop up around Christmas? October. Next month. I'll make sure we get a bunch so we can get them to people. Um, And they go through and they rate all the stores and say how good they do at getting things from sustainable, making sure people are paid living wages, make sure the communities are being developed, all that sort of stuff. But our economic choice to have what we want comes at a cost, but not to us. It costs us in our wallet and maybe with a credit debt, but somewhere down the line it costs someone their livelihood. It costs a community their ability to be able to pull themselves out of poverty. It costs mostly women because they're the ones that do a lot, especially in the textile industry. They're the ones that are most affected by this. And when you affect the women in the family, you affect the whole family unit and the caring that happens there. So I can have what I want, but at the end of the day, our choices cost someone, somewhere. And the third one is on one breakthrough away from it all. And this basically is just at the end of the day, it's dissatisfaction, isn't it? Thinking you're one, break away, one breakthrough away from it all means that you're not happy with where you are. Whereas I think Jesus has a lot to say around, you should probably learn to be content in your circumstances. You should probably look for the joy of God being with you in your circumstances. But consumerism comes in and says, remember that new kitchen remodel you did and you thought it was really cool? Well, go to your mate's place and look at their kitchen remodel and now lament the fact that yours is nowhere near as cool as their one. And now that 20 grand you blew, you're looking at, I should have spent the 30. I would have got the double this, that, or the other. So dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. So what can we learn from Jesus to avoid this type of good news in our lives? To avoid this being who we want to be, having what we want, and one breakthrough away from it all. What can we learn from, learn from the life of Jesus? And this is where I want to go to Mark 8, if you've got your Bible there, 27 to 30. So if the Australian gospel is be who I want to be, have what I want, and I'm one broke through away. What is the good news when it comes to Mark? So Mark is written about the life of Jesus. He's recorded a bunch of events for us. Very helpful. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're not just theological gold mines. Like they're not just things to teach us, ooh, what is God like? Or what does God think about certain stuff in the up here top, uh, in our brain, you know, intellectually. But it's also a way to look at the life of Jesus, how he lived, and to learn from that and apply it to our own life. There's a thing in Matthew um, 10 or 11 where he talks about his yoke being easy. 
And when we look at Jesus and how he lived, he lived simply. He walked slowly. He spent time with God regularly. There's many things we can learn from the life of Jesus from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And here is one of those stories that helps us understand a little bit more about this good news of Jesus. Let me read it out to you. 27 to 30, Mark chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Some nice chit-chat along the way. Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist, some say that you're Elijah, and others say you're a prophet. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So what's going on here? What's going on? Let's unpack this little piece here. Now, I believe when you look at Mark, this story is a pivot point in this story, in the whole book as a whole. So I like to think of, did Siri just go off? I heard Siri. <laughs> Siri or Google, all those fun things. Um, so Mark, I believe, is broken up into two parts. You have Mark part one, which is up until 8.27. And then from 8.30, you have Mark part two of the gospel. And the way that I see it is sort of part one is Jesus concealed and then part two is Jesus revealed. So let's, let's, let's walk through the verse and then we'll talk about part one and part two. So verse 27, as they were walking. I like that. It's just a general activity that they were doing together. When we read the Bible, we can forget because there's so many big things. There's healings, there's miracles. Jesus is saying a bunch of wise stuff. He's saying a bunch of stuff. We have no idea. I have no idea what he's talking about. Um, and, he, and we forget that this happens in the setting of life. We read in Mark 16 chapters, so it's very short, but that was three years. Three years is not a long time, but it's long enough. And they were just walking. They were doing the mundane together. They were hanging out. They were just being together. And Jesus says, who do people say I am? A simple question within the rhythm of life. As they walk together, as they continue their journey together, Jesus and his close friends, he just asks them a question. And isn't that how we do life with one another? We're just living, enjoying each other's company, and then you just want to know something from your friend. You ask them a question, and it sparks a conversation. Who do people say I am? They respond, well, some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're a prophet. And what they're saying is, that, well, who do people say they are? They say that you're sort of a big deal, Jesus. In terms of the big weights of history, and our religious collective, people are saying, you're sort of up there. You're sort of one of the big reasons, you're sort of a big thing that's happening right now. But then Jesus hones in. All right, that's what people say. But he looks at them, and I just, I don't know what, I'd love to know how he said this, whether it was like a stop and stare, or whether it was just a, who do you say I am, as they wandered around. Wouldn't it be great to just be able to go back in history and be able to watch some of these moments? And he asked that question, but who do you say I am? And from this point on, the gospel of Mark pivots. So before this, part one of the gospel from chapter one up to eight, what I see when I read it through anyway is I see sort of Jesus just setting the stage for this moment. So in chapter one, Jesus prepares for the job. He starts to declare the kingdom of God has come near, repent, believe the good news. He gets baptized. He goes into 
um, be tempted. He calls his disciples. It's Jesus just setting up. It's his first day on the job. If you want to see what Jesus' life is like, Mark chapter 1 sort of has a bit of a condensed version of it. Um, he spends time alone with God, and he's just sort of, this is Jesus. Then chapter 2 comes along. This is the first clash we have with the religious order, with the Pharisees. Um, so he doesn't clash hard with them, but enough to be like, oh, there's going to be some tension later on. There's going to be some issues come up, I reckon. Then chapter 3, Jesus eventually calls his team together and says, all right, um, life's been going on. I sort of see, yep, you 12 are the ones I want to take with me. 11 were great choices, one not a great choice. And then chapter 4, um, he starts to teach and give parables. He starts to talk about the kingdom of God and unpack it for them. And they're sort of going, ah, we get it, but we don't get it. So he's kind enough to give us some explanations. Thank you, Jesus. Then 5, 6, and 7 is basically just showing the disciples, the ones he's now called, how he lives. So what you have from verses from chapter 1 to 8 is basically Jesus getting ready for his role, calling people to watch, and then he is slowly walking with them to show them, hey, this is who I am. This is who I am. You want to know who I am? Come and follow me. Come and see how I live. Look at the pace I walk. Look at the food I eat. Look at the people I hang out with. Look at how I live, teach, unpack things. Look at the way I support. Look at the way I rest. Just look at me. And then this moment happens in this story where he says, you guys are, basically, you guys have been with me now for a while. Who do people think that I am? And they say, well, this is what people say. And then the question, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And in that moment, the narrative sort of changes to Peter jumps out says, you're the Messiah. And he's like, yep, you've recognized it. It's almost like, he's, it's almost like Jesus has gone, who do you say I am? And they've gone, the Messiah. And it's almost like he goes, you get it. You get it enough. Like you don't understand the fullness of what you're saying right now, Peter. You don't understand the fullness of what you're saying within the greater context of history. But in terms of following me, watching me, being with me, who do you say I am? I'm the Messiah. You get it. I'm the anointed one. I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. Same, same word. And then we move to Jesus revealed. Do you know what happens immediately? Not immediately, immediately. But after this story, in the next three chapters, Jesus predicts his death once each time. So three times he predicts his death. Prior to that, there's no prediction of death. After this moment, as we read on, there is some of his toughest teaching. He teaches around divorce and remarriage. He talks about salvation and ties it to, uh, about finances and ties it to salvation. He talks about a fig tree. He curses a fig tree, um, which is a crazy story, but the imagery of that, he talks about if you're not fruitful, if you're fruitful, you're good. That's, that's some tough stuff when you really get into it. And he has some of his most important teaching in there. So from this point on, he talks about the great command. And he also, in chapter 13, talks about the future. And then 14 to 16, we have his death and his resurrection. So the first part is Jesus just living and allowing people to watch him. The second part, once he goes, yep, you get it, is now him turning towards the cross and saying, that's where I'm going. In Luke chapter 9, I think it's verse 51 or so, around there, uh, there's this thing where it says Jesus turned towards Jerusalem and resolutely set out. Uh, it's sort of the same timeline with this story. Um, you try to match Luke and Mark because Luke sort of copied a lot of stuff from Mark. When you read Mark and Luke next to each other, you're just like, 
Well done, Luke. That's how you do it. Do you go and do a lot of, you know, you go and you, you, you get the Wikipedia page, you copy and paste it. I mean, that's just what you do. You work smart, not hard. Anyway, so you can match them up together. And so Luke is taking a lot of Mark's material. And at this point, they sort of line up together when Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem and starts to move towards the cross. And then at this point, he starts predicting his death, tough teaching, just starts to go, hey, you're my disciples now. This is what it means to take up your cross to follow me. And this story sits in the middle of these two moments. So what does that mean for us? This is uh, just sort of where I think, uh, I'll go through a lot of stuff very quickly here, but I think it's very helpful. I believe God wants you and God wants me to live our lives as if Jesus is real, the center of our lives, that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, that our life should be different from the world, and that he wants everybody to experience a loving, replenishing, peaceful relationship with him. That's just something which I go, at the end of the day, when I leave this earth, I want my reflection of my life with Jesus to end in the statement of me saying, I found peace being with God. Was it easy? No. Was it in conflict with what the world wanted? Absolutely. But I knew that my soul was at rest because I was able to be who God made me to be. But the problem is, is that um, we don't want to have God in the middle of our lives. We tend to want to have ourselves because, let's be honest, that one is a little bit more fun uh, right here, right now. Um, Why not purchase what you want and forget about the consequences? Why not be who you want to be? Why not just live life with what your desires are and putting them first? I mean, right now, that sounds like a pretty pretty good outcome. But the problem is, is that that's not what God desires for us. And when Jesus came to earth, it's almost like he's going to his disciples and saying, hey, I know you guys really want to put yourself in the middle of who you are. I know you want to, you want to have your own dreams, hopes, aspirations and all of that. And it's great. It's a reflection of my glory, the way I made you. Awesome. It's just been twisted. It's a bit askew. Because when you put you in the middle, you end up only ever pleasing yourself. And when you're only ever pleasing yourself, there's not much room for me, like Jesus. Like it, there's not much room for God in there because when we put our own interests first, we end up only looking after ourselves. So when Jesus comes along and starts to walk with them, he's basically saying, look at how I live. I live others-focused. And here's the big thing. Not only am I others-focused, says Jesus, but I can't do it unless I spend time with my Father. I can't do it unless I spend time resting in silence and solitude. I can't just go, 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 go without a time to rest and reset with the one who made me. So when we say, all right, I want to follow Jesus and we want to put him in the center of our lives, I reckon that's great news. Um, But something happens, I think, where if we think that that is only a belief switch or a thinking switch or a intellectual switch, we cause a lot of pain for ourselves. Because here's what I've observed. Someone is living their life and God taps them on the shoulder. The Holy Spirit moves and they go, I want a relationship with God. Amen, hallelujah, that's amazing. And then they go, right, how do I live now in light of this revelation? in light of this revealed truth, in light of this new thing. And they go and they start to try and reorganize their lives around what the kingdom of God is, around Jesus, his rhythms, his pace of life. And they start to realize, oh, this is a bit of a difference. 
The pace is different. The desires are different. This is hard. This is difficult. And it's almost like when someone, and I, I went through the same thing. I had a bit of a leg up because I had someone who was discipling me a bit more intentionally. But I sort of came to faith and I went, oh, this is a big shift. It's really hard to want to live for Jesus and to have him in the middle when I really want to have me in the middle. And that's a battle, an ongoing, ongoing battle. But it's almost like, why didn't someone tell me before I signed up what I was in for? And it's almost like something happens, something moves. I want to live for God. Now we make the decision and then we step into the new life and we go, oh, this is really hard. And it's almost like, okay, people start to take an interest in me. I want to be discipled. People want to come alongside me. And it's almost like you want to look at them and say, why didn't you tell me that my finances would have to be rearranged? Why didn't you tell me the way I spend my time would have to be rearranged? Why didn't you tell me the way I work in my friendships would have to be rearranged? Why didn't you tell me that I'm now aware of things that I wasn't aware of before and I was quite happy being ignorant? And now I'm looking around going, man, there is suffering in this world and I want to do my part to join Jesus and helping alleviate that. Why didn't you tell me? how hard this was going to be. And I think that happens because we don't take the time to walk through with people before they turn to Christ and just show them what our life is like. Jesus asks him, who do you say I am? It's an invitation to recognize him as Lord and Savior. It's an invitation to recognize Jesus as the Son of God. It's a recognition of Jesus as someone, not just important, the one who's most important. But I tell you, he did not ask this question when he just met them. What was the first thing Jesus said to his disciples? Follow me. He didn't say, who do you think I am? He didn't say, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm going to change your life, here we go. His first invitation was, come and see how I live. And as disciples of his, as people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus, if that is your story... We've got to remember, people need to be able to follow us before they come to the right belief in God. Jesus didn't start then and there and say, do you believe the right thing? He said, come and watch, come and listen, come and see. Now what do you believe? And when we get those things the wrong way around, I think we do people a disservice because they hear about this freedom, they hear about this good life, they hear about all these good things that happen and the peace that we get to have because we've centered our lives around Jesus. And if they don't see what that cost us, then I think we do them a disservice. And not only that, I think we actually keep them away longer than they need to be. If we think that discipleship and faith grows from the moment they accept Jesus, no, no, no. It happens before that. God's already out there in his spirit bringing people back to himself. He's already discipling, loving, caring, and drawing those back to him. And if we think discipleship happens from the moment they accept, we're behind the eight ball. We need to be showing our lives before that to our friends, our families, our co-workers. And it doesn't need to be weird. It doesn't need to be, as I've said before, we're not trying to Bible bash. We're not trying to get out there and be like, have you heard about Jesus? We're just trying to live in the ways of Jesus and allow him to shine through us and then be attentive enough to the Holy Spirit when we get tapped on the shoulder to have the conversation we need to have. Someone at work says, hey, I, I noticed that the way you do time off is a little bit different. You can explain to them, well, I have a habit of Sabbathing. Maybe they look at you and say, oh, I've noticed that you don't tend to be stressed about money. 
why is that? And you can say, oh, well, I just tried to make sure that it isn't the boss of me. Oh, why do you do that? Oh, because I follow Jesus. Like, it doesn't have to be weird, awkward, and odd. You just need to live your life and allow it to shine. But then when you need to have that conversation, when you feel that tap, when you feel that, oh, the Holy Spirit's telling me to do something, you still have to ask the question. Hey, do you want to follow me and see what Jesus is about? Do you want to, where are you with God? It's a big one. But sometimes we need to have those conversations. Yes, the gospel can be preached through deed, absolutely, but preaching, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by preaching the word of God. So there still needs to be some voice in there as well. Otherwise, we fool ourselves into thinking, I'm just doing good, but if it's never linked back to God, then does it actually do what it's meant to do? All right, I'm going to finish there. I've got more to say, but we've run out of time. Um, so where does that leave us for this morning? I just want to encourage us as a church. The Australian gospel goes out there and says, hey, you can be who you want to be, have what you want to have, and you're one breakthrough away from it all. But Jesus steps in and says, I made you for a reason, a purpose, and I've called you to become someone. Jesus says, you can't have everything now. You're going to have to wait. He teaches that again and again, especially when he talks about money. He says, look, at the end of the day, it's just a tool. It's not everything. You, know, you can't have everything now. And that whole idea that you're... I understand. Siri? Sorry. Where was I? Number three. And the third thing is, your one breakthrough away from it, that dissatisfaction... He calls us to follow him, his ways, his teachings, and to be satisfied where we are in his presence. Be satisfied where we are. I'm going to invite the band up, and uh, we're going to respond with a bit of worship, and then I've got uh, Ruth coming up after that to give us the five minutes with, but let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this story that we find in Mark. Thank you that your good news is good news, not just for 2,000 years ago, but for today. And I pray, Lord, that the gospel of Australia, this idea that we can be who we want to be, have what we want to have, and just with one breakthrough away from it all, I pray that that falls to the side in our hearts and that we take up the example that you left behind, love others, be available, walk slowly, and care for the last, the least, and the lost. In your name and for your glory. Amen.